Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Glad to have you aboard for the latest episode of Ashto's ETAP Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. Infrastructure summer is over, and now it's IIJA Fall. Joining us today to discuss the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or IIJA, is Jung Lee, Ashto's Director of Policy and Government Relations. Jung is also the staff liaison to Ashto's Transportation Policy Forum, the body that discusses and advocates for state DOT policy interests and makes recommendations to the board. As we record this episode of Ashto's ETAP podcast on September 22nd, the House of Representatives is reviewing the IIJA, As the bill works its way to President Biden's desk, Ashto has been working to represent the interests of state DOTs and has done so quite successfully. Four out of five of the association's core priorities have been incorporated into the most recent version of the bill. Ashto has influenced and identified benefits within the IIJA that would impact all 50 states, as well as for Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. Today, we'll sit down with Jung and chat about the bill's journey, as well as some of the exciting potential changes for state DOTs. Jung, thank you so much for joining us here on Ashto's ETAP podcast. As we talked about in the introduction, we're talking about the infrastructure bill, the shorthand that we're using for this. For those of us who don't follow Congress on a daily basis, it can get a bit confusing, even tracking a piece of legislation as important as this one. Tell us, if you would, about the path of the bill so far from inception to where we are right now. And again, as we mentioned, this is uh, being recorded on September 22nd. Thank you so much, Bernie. And it's a real pleasure to be able to join you for this edition of the ETAP podcast. So the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, this is not something new, obviously. This is something that's been talked about at least five, six years at this point. And it has taken a long road to get to the point we are now, which is on the precipice of passage, you know, took many iterations through multiple presidential administrations. It spawned kind of the infrastructure week joke, right? Because whenever infrastructure was to be talked about, there happened to be some other unrelated event that completely overshadows it. At the end of the day, we're fortunate to be able to keep infrastructure as above the fold slash 1A national agenda, which doesn't happen often, right? Because you're usually talking about jobs, healthcare, um, economy, foreign policy, not the boring old infrastructure that folks, I think, you know, kind of take it for granted because it's just part of the every, everyday environment and experience. But the recognition that this uh, massive modernization and upkeep and future investment of infrastructure is needed has obviously taken solid root with political support from, you know, both the Democrats and uh, Republicans. And I would also point to last December uh, was the second of the three tranches of COVID relief packages that the federal government uh, worked on over the last 18 months. First was the CARES Act in March of 2020. And then the second package of $900 billion, of which $10 billion of that amount was directly provided to state DOTs themselves for COVID relief purposes, Uh, was crafted by this moderate group of senators, uh, bipartisan, uh, you know, centrists from the Democratic and Republican side, and felt, hey, you know, after the CARES Act, we just haven't been able to act on further COVID relief. 
Uh, what can we do to break that logjam? And so they were able to craft this plan that received uh, obviously enough support to be able to turn into uh, law by the end of December. Uh, and then, of course, there was the American Rescue Plan Act that got enacted back in February at the beginning of the Biden administration. That was the third tranche of COVID relief. But what happened, you know, uh, with the infrastructure package is that this same group of moderate senators got together again earlier this year and, you know, talked to the administration, talked to the Senate and House committees of uh, jurisdiction on transportation uh, reauthorization and felt, hey, maybe we can do something here, too, to get this actually moving uh, and get it done. And so there was the White House uh, announcement in mid-June uh, with the president and then this group of G10 uh, is what we've called it. It could be G21, <laughs> it could be G2, but kind of the core group of senators and the president announced, hey, we have a deal here. We have $550 billion in new investment on top of the existing uh, infrastructure programs that we'll commit to. That was a two-page document slash outline. And to turn that into obviously actual piece of legislation takes a lot of work. And so the folks on the Hill really got to work. And thankfully, there was a good base bill from the Senate Environment Public Works Committee on Highway Reauthorization that got passed in May bipartisan unanimous vote out of committee. There was also the Commerce Committee title looking at rail and safety provisions that passed that committee in June. So a couple of core pieces were there. The transit reauthorization from banking wasn't there. And then a whole host of other pieces, including financing, how to pay for all of this wasn't quite there either. And those were all worked out in a very, very intense period between July uh, and early August to get to you know, the point where the Senate was able to consider the full 2,700-page piece uh, of legislation. And it actually did get that bipartisan support, which is, as everyone knows, very elusive, hard to see it happen, but it happened in the Senate. Well, you talk about that bipartisan support. It passed the Senate with 69 votes, which obviously is uh, a very bipartisan bill as far as anything major in the Senate would be concerned. What makes this an appealing bipartisan bill? Yeah, so the road to the bipartisan bill or the IIJA, and there's just no good acronym for it still, <laughs> and I don't think there's a way to do so. <laughs> the Biden administration's initial proposal for the infrastructure package, uh, they called it the American Jobs Plan, uh, released in late March. And it looked at an expansive kind of list of priorities that looked at, obviously, kind of the traditional definition of infrastructure, but it also looked uh, at what they call the human infrastructure pieces on, you know, care economy support and uh, related types of programs. And that's where I think kind of the bipartisan group of senators felt those things we don't really see as what should be in this infrastructure definition as we've typically operated under. So let's look at that, you know, separately or through a different vehicle, but not through this particular legislative vehicle. So they whittle down, um, you know, I think the funding levels in terms of what programs this bill will actually cover. And then when they kind of looked at, okay, we'll look at certainly transportation, surface transportation, aviation, and then many other sectors of infrastructure, right? So energy infrastructure, water infrastructure, et cetera. 
uh, they also kind of tweaked the numbers to be able to whittle it down to a point where they felt, you know, we want to really responsibly pay for as much of it as possible. Um, and that just entailed kind of the, you know, the usual process. It happens with any bill. You're going to have to jettison some, you know, key elements that's not going to make people happy, but that's how you reach that uh, true compromise. And in this case, obviously, in a bipartisan fashion. Obviously, any bill like this has a lot of different interest groups that are looking for what their priorities are. From Ashto's and the state DOT's perspectives, what are the priorities that they have there that are most exciting and hope they will see in the final bill? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the core kind of philosophy behind the federal aid highway program is that it provides federal funding and policy certainty on a multi-year basis. So this is not your typical annual appropriations funding that is so unreliable, right? Because there's always kind of the prospect of the short-term funding measures, uh, potential government shutdown, and you just can't do major uh, and even smaller capital investments that just require years to plan for and to actually build and operate and maintain. And so we've been able to benefit from the highway trust fund that has a special budgetary structure that allows you to program federal dollars uh, on a multi-year basis. We're so happy to see that the bipartisan bill has this five years worth of surface transportation reauthorization, including those programs from the highway trust fund so that state DOTs can now plan out for the next five years in terms of this is the kind of federal funding that we're going to be able to expect. We'll match that with our state resources and get those planned out and underway. And I would also say that the way that the dollars are provided is also important. Uh, So the Federal Aid Highway Program is the best example, I think, of federalism in action, right? Where the federal government provides the broader national policy goals and parameters to meet But the actual program decisions and project decisions on how to put those dollars into different projects and priorities of the state DOTs is really fully at the discretion of the state DOTs and their local partners. And so the monies that are coming out from the formula programs in this bill and with 90 percent of the highway account of the highway trust fund dollars going to states by formula to maintain that state local flexibility is absolutely key. And we're just really happy to see that. There are also uh, various provisions to just improve the efficiency of how we get things done uh, when it comes to environmental review process, when it comes to project delivery process. uh, There are some good things in there. There are also, I would say, you know, forward-looking pieces on research and development uh, in supporting reduced carbon-based economy through various carbon reduction uh, proposals and programs, Improved infrastructure resiliency uh, is great to see, along with uh, EV charging infrastructure deployment. Those are all things that state DOTs wanted to see and are in the bill. Obviously, the bottom line for any infrastructure bill is what it's going to mean for the transportation system, which is used by virtually everyone. Tell us a bit about what the IIJA means for the folks who are using those transportation systems and some of the benefits they might see. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's always going to be more demand, right, for mobility improvements across the board on a multimodal basis. It's not just highways in urban areas or uh, rural areas. This is about public transportation investments. 
how the different modes work together. This is about active transportation investments on bicycle and pedestrian users of the system. Freight movement is absolutely critical as well. And how that also interfaces with the passenger movement is uh, critical. So all those things are affected in a good way uh, with this bill. And, you know, one of the storytelling challenges, frankly, that we do have at the kind of the federal slash DC level is when we keep talking about hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars, it's just hard to kind of wrap your mind around like, well, what does that really mean, you know, for my own commute or my, you know, uh, trip to the grocery store. Uh, And so we have been able to provide more tangible benefits of the bipartisan bill for every single state through a survey uh, that is available. And I'll, I guess, do a quick plug on policy.transportation.org. Some of the examples are the kinds of projects that our members, state DOTs have listed as like, hey, if this bill can come to fruition, these are the types of specific project level uh, improvements. What we're also hearing is that things that might happen seven, eight, nine years down the line, if they're lucky to be able to patch together funding, now they can happen one, two years down the line because the resources are being made available a lot quicker. And that means improved you know, mobility, quality of life uh, much sooner than can otherwise happen without this federal infusion of funds. Ashto's executive director, Jim Timon, noted in a recent statement that Ashto and its members also applaud the bill's substantial action to address climate change and improve system resiliency. Now, since this is a podcast focused on environmental issues, tell us a bit about some of the environmental highlights that folks can look forward to in this bill. As I mentioned earlier, some of the project delivery and environmental review improvements that we see in the bill, um, there has been longstanding discussion about, yes, absolutely, state DOTs are the main stewards of improving the environment in their own states, uh, no question about it. But is there a way to also, you know, reduce the delays associated with project delivery while obviously upkeeping and improving environmental outcomes? Uh, the federal government's conversation, uh, you know, in Congress and the administration has been this idea of uh, one federal decision where for the major projects that require the environmental impact statement, is there a way to reduce the timeline to about two years rather than a lot more than two years as typically has been in the case? And so it does provide that framework for multi-agency coordination, concurrent reviews uh, amongst the federal agencies involved in project review uh, and approval to be able to you know, get that timeline shortened and in a way that obviously still meets all the federal requirements and many times even more stringent um, state requirements as well. There are some, you know, details to be figured out in what that exactly means, right? Because, you know, it may be able to say, yes, it took two years, but, you know, behind the scenes, while we really started some of the processes really late to start that clock as late as possible (laughs) and then end the clock as quickly as possible, we don't want kind of the superficial, like, yeah, we checked the box or met the goal. We really want this to be a more efficient process and, you know, how it actually pans out. Uh, We are also, you know, looking at provisions concerning the stewardship and oversight agreement. And this is the general agreement that every single state DOT has with their individual federal highway administration offices in every state. 
this bill would look to create a template on like, hey, here are the best practices, best approaches to define your relationship between the state and federal agencies. We want to make sure that, you know, when that framework is developed, state DOTs are provided ample opportunities for input uh, so that it doesn't become one size fits all requirement where then, you know, some of the state and federal offices might have a fantastic relationship. And we don't want to hurt that by saying, well, no, no, you got to do it differently. Uh, But if there's opportunities for other states to benefit from this type of more of a common uh, approach, that would absolutely provide that. Uh, There are also provisions uh, involving looking at categorical exclusions uh, and Section 4F, some of the specific federal requirements in terms of, you know, is there flexibility to uh, use a CE approved by one federal agency, uh, other agency projects as well, because it's already kind of gone through that review process? Uh, On Section 4F, uh, in terms of protecting parklands, for example, there is a provision that says if a decision by the federal agency isn't made by a certain point of time, then you can just assume that uh, they concur with it rather than having to wait for the active you know, answer of like yes uh, or no. Uh, and those are the types of, I think, uh, process decisions uh, that can kind of layer on top of each other and add to overall delays uh, in project delivery. And, you know, this bill isn't going to solve all of it by any means. And there are some real substantive reforms that, uh, you know, I think our members would like to see uh, concerning, say, the Clean Air Act, and the Clean Water Act. And those aren't in the bill. Uh, but there are, you know, steps in the positive direction that we've seen over the last few uh, reauthorization cycles that are absolutely maintained. You touched earlier, Jung, on how this is going to provide guaranteed funding for five years, fiscal year 2022 through fiscal year 2026. What does that mean for the states, having that kind of guarantee? Uh, That funding stability is so uh, important because every state is required by federal law to put together a four-year capital programming document called the Statewide Transportation Improvement Program, or STIP. And that really kind of shows you this is exactly how we're going to, uh, you know, match the different federal, state, local resources for these phases of projects and get it done. Um, it's in what we call kind of the fiscally constrained manner, as in this is not a wish list where we just put a whole bunch of projects and then like some of them will pan out and some of them won't. These are going to happen because these are the exact resources that we're able to provide I think that certainly helps, obviously, with the communities, right, in terms of where those projects are and their elected officials. So our members are obviously, you know, uh, answering a lot of questions uh, from elected officials all the time about where's my project? Where is this? Where is that? And obviously, there is a rigorous analytical uh, process, especially in planning out like, hey, like we get it. You want these projects in your community. Uh, But, you know, we're going to do a more holistic assessment through the 20 year long range plan to select which of these projects are going to go into the four year step, again, based on resources available. And obviously, it goes without saying that when more resources are able to get provided through this uh, federal program ramp up, and we're looking at about a 30 percent increase in highway funding uh, in the bipartisan bill, that's going to be able to uh, meet more priorities uh, in that step. 
and be able to advance the kinds of things that, as I mentioned earlier, might have been, you know, on the edge, maybe, you know, six, seven, eight years down the line. Now that can go straight into the STIP and get done in the next four years. From the state DOT's perspective, I suppose the million dollar or perhaps more accurately billion dollar question is, when are they going to see the money once this bill is passed? That's a great question. The current Federal Surface Transportation Program, the FAST Act, it received a one-year extension in September of 2020, which was essentially a grace period, right? In that, okay, you guys need to reauthorize this multi-year program. Can't get it done now. So make sure to get it done, you know, with this additional year uh, provided. And this is really Congress telling itself to do that. I mean, that's their job. The bipartisan bill would take into effect on October 1. And it should be able to immediately provide funding, especially for established formula programs. And uh, on the highway side, we're looking at, say, the National Highway Performance Program, Surface Transportation Block Grant Program, Highway Safety Improvement Program, and others. There should be a notice of contract authority funding availability from FHWA. Hopefully, we'll have government operations intact, although that is also a question right now, (laughs) whether that can happen or not. Uh, So there may be some hiccups related to that. But I think that alone should be a huge boost in terms of the ability of state DOTs to start planning and putting those dollars to actual projects and put them to work. There are also a slug of brand new programs that the bill creates. And as opposed to the formula programs that are provided straight to states, that, I, as I mentioned, there are also many discretionary grant programs where it's the U.S. Department of Transportation make the selection on how to provide to those awards. In order to do so, you have to first define, like, what's the award criteria, right? Like, what's the application process, the timeline, evaluation? All that is going to take a lot of time, a lot of staff resources, that the U.S. DOT will have to ramp up, uh, and that certainly won't happen overnight. So those types of programs, it will take a little bit of longer, essentially for the executive branch to, quote unquote, digest and process. We've covered a lot of ground in a relatively short time talking about this very complex bill, but is there anything else that our listeners should know about this bill? I would say that, look, you know, again, like infrastructure is not the most exciting topic for most people. This is something that I get it. You know, folks don't want to have to think about it, right? You just want to get to where you need to get to. But this is the type of, I think, public commitment and a shared civic responsibility that needs to take place in terms of how to make all of our lives better, how to make sure that our nation remains competitive how you know good jobs are provided and preserved and as unexciting as talking about you know pavement repair <laughs> might be uh, this is the kind of investment that has to get done congress has sat on it for a long time in terms of really making a leap in terms of the amount of resources provided the time had come and it is absolutely upon us to actually make the most of it we hope that People are excited about that prospect and are able to, you know, look forward to enjoying the benefits of it for decades to come. And to wrap up, for those who might want to get more information about this or get connected and find Ashto resources about the bill and about Ashto's overall policy work, where should they go? 
we have the AASHTO policy portal, uh, which is available at policy.transportation.org. We'd like to think it has a wealth uh, of information, including bill analysis of all the congressional legislation. We just recently rolled out an 81-page summary and analysis of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. You know, again, 2,700 pages. So even the summary document is clocking in at 81 pages. <laughs> Uh, but we also have uh, asked to comment letters to Congress and U.S. DOT on a number of key positions of interest to state DOTs. We have information about the Transportation Policy Forum, our key policy decision-making body that oversees the different modes of transportation as well uh, through the modal councils that we have. So it's a great resource. Uh, we hope folks uh, get a chance to check it out. And if they have any questions, Ashto staff is ready uh, to respond to any questions or comments that folks might have. Thank you so much, Jung, for taking the time to chat with us about, again, a very complex topic, one that is quickly moving and maybe is even a little changed from the time of this recording. We've been talking with Jung Lee, the Director of Policy and Government Relations for Ashto. Jung, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Bernie.